I've had this, I, th- I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but it's, it's probably nature, but it's been reinforced because I've seen the results. And that is, it's the marshmallow test that many of you guys are familiar with. And if you're not familiar with the marshmallow test, it's something you need to look into. And that's a study they did. But basically, you know, you get a marshmallow, you put a marshmallow in front of a kid or an adult or something, it could be chocolate. And you, and you tell them that they can have that now. Carte blanche, you just have it. No, no obligations, no strings attached. However, if you're willing to wait, and it, it's four minutes, they've done every study, four minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. If you're willing to wait though, and resist and have the discipline, we will double your chocolate count. We will double your marshmallow count. Hello, and welcome to the Agent Podcast with your host, that's me, Raymond Scholseth. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Agent Podcast. Today, I'm here with my buddy, Nick, out of Washington. Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for coming. So, Nick, why real estate? My journey started in 2008 is when I got into real estate, and it was out of failure. It was out of unexpected failure outside of my control. Let me put it this way, because people get it twisted. I was a commercial airline pilot flying for a Boeing 747 international cargo carrier, and it was a startup. So that's how I, at 27 years old, I was on 747, which normally you need to be in your 50s. The way that I got my foot in the door because I helped them get licensed, actually get their FAA certificate. So I worked in the office for a year. So I, so I put off, I put off flying right away to kind of earn my way into a startup company, a 747 startup company. And after three years and poor decision-making, and they went out of business. They, the investors, the asset company decided to pull the plug on the airline. And I had just bought a home in Wenatchee, Washington. My wife got a job as a teacher, high school teacher here, and we didn't want to move. And as a pilot, you kind of move to where the next gig is, or you have to commute to the next gig. And my opportunities were in Dallas and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And I chose to stay. I chose to give up that career path and, uh, you know, having a resume with Boeing 747 on it, not very many people were hiring that in Wenatchee, Washington. So it was either get a job at an entry level at $12 an hour or look for other opportunities. And so I got my real estate license and went to, and, you know, and I, I was intrigued by it because it was, you know, you were in control of your own schedule. I was from an industry where you got a seniority number and you were stuck at the seniority number as long as, and it was almost like you hoped that you can uh, advance in a career if you stay there long enough and counting down the days to retirement didn't sound that exciting to me after having the rug pulled out from under me. So I got into real estate. That was in two. That was in March of two thousand eight, right? And so, can we, can we talk about your first year in two thousand eight, yeah, two thousand nine, like absolutely. what that looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So I got licensed in March of two thousand eight. I interviewed with the first broker, the only broker I knew, which was my my wife's my wife's father's friend. And you know that principle stays with me. And here's the principle: you know people people go with the first person they meet. 
the probability is they go with the first person they meet. And so the same thing, I teach my agents the same thing. It's like the, the seller is going to go with the first agent they meet 70% of the time. The, the buyer is going to go with the first agent they meet 70% of the time. I went with the first broker I met, right? Based on a referral, right? And so I got licensed with a broker and he was a mentor and I learned a lot from him. And then the market crashed of, you know, September, October, the market crashed. I had zero sales at the time. And in our MLS, we had zero reported sales for the next six months after the market crash. So long story short, I sold one home my first year. So I did have a pending and it went through. And I sold one home, made $6,200 in my first year in real estate. Yeah. So that's how it went, you know, and in 2009, gas prices, you know, bubbled up kind of like they are today in 2020, as we shoot this in 2022. And so I had a decision to make. It was save. I had enough money. I figured out I had enough run runway for about four months, four months, if I made this one key decision. And it was probably the biggest decision I had to make in my career. And that was a decision to continue to drive my 1984 Subaru GL to the office or get a bus pass. So I made this, this was the cost benefit analysis, get this. So I figured if I, if I wanted to continue to drive my own car, I had about a month and a half. If I got a bus pass, I could make it four more months. So I got a bus pass and I took the bus to the, to the office and I ended up taking the bus to the office that for the next year when I could, right? Anytime I could. And on the bus, what I did was I started reading every single sales book I could get my hands on. Every single sales book, every single business book, every single human behavior, psychology book I can get my hands on. And I just read and read and read and read and read. Because my first year, I denied that I was in sales. I was, I was in denial that I was in sales that I actually had to go and convince people, well, you know, because you have these things running in your subconscious that you, you don't want to be a pushy salesperson and all this other stuff. You got to understand, I was the pilot that was scared to talk on the radio. So now I'm in real estate and I'm supposed to talk to people I don't know. And the other thing is, you know, you're taught, you're taught in your subconscious, you're taught this as an early age, don't talk to strangers, right? Right. The law of primacy. I learned that at an early age. I don't even remember when I learned that, but my mom taught me, don't talk to strangers. And now I'm in a business and I need to talk to strangers. Hmm. Okay, well, go after your sphere of influence. People you know, know you, like you, and trust you. Okay, well, I don't know anybody. What do you do then? What do you do when you don't know anybody? Okay, so I started reading all these books on the bus because I couldn't afford the gas. And through that process, I learned a lot. And I learned how to make connections and relationships with strangers faster and faster and faster and faster, right? Tear down that wall, break down the sales skepticism, have real conversations that lead to real results. And I just did, I just iterated on that. And then I just practiced and practiced and, and learned leads, lead generation and marketing and marketing and advertising and direct response marketing. And it grew. I ended up selling 12 homes my second year and made $90,000. And that was enough to get, it was enough for me to save, a, a, have a safety of margin that I never looked back. And this is the one thing I, you know, a lot of agents or entrepreneurs out there is like, you know what, the first couple of years, it's about building enough safety of mar margin of safety so that you never have to go back. And the safety margin is a, an emergency fund. Maybe it's six months of expenses, personal and business expenses so that you can grow. I see so many people leveraging, trying to skip steps, man. They skip a lot of steps. 
And, you know, I get it. I'm a survivor. So it's kind of a survivor bias. You're talking to somebody that got lucky. I mean, I, I all, all intents and purposes, I should have failed. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I invested in myself. The, the third year, I made that leap, right? I made that leap to 32 sales the third year. And really, the, the tipping point there was nothing. It was doing the exact same thing that I was doing the day before that worked. And that was learning, growing, skill acquisition, and then implementation. You know, how fast can I learn something in a book and implement it? I didn't want any award for like how many books I read. You ever, you ever meet those people like, I read 52, my goal is 52 books this year. Okay, great. Awesome. What are you gonna do with those 52 books? You know, you know, what I did last year was I read BE 2.0. If you know, beyond the entrepreneurship 2.0, which is awesome. Jim Collins books. It it was back when he was James Collins. It was his first book that he wrote uh, beyond entrepreneurship. I read it seven times in a row last year. In a row. I just, on audible. Back I just to back. Yeah. Back to back, 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 that back. Too. That's the only way yeah. you get the information sometimes. Hey, Nick, can I pause you right there and can we back up a minute? Yeah. How did you have the courage to keep going through one sale the first year and, you know, deciding that, hey, this is my only option if I'm going to do this and survive to let go of the car and get a bus pass and keep moving forward and then start investing on your in yourself regularly. Can you walk us through like how did you have that mindset already? Was it a conscious decision? Did you learn that from somebody? Like where did that come from? Mm. I've had this I think I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but it's it's probably nature and I'll explain it. But it's been reinforced because I've seen the results. And that is it's the marshmallow test that many of you guys are familiar with and if you're not familiar with the marshmallow test, it's something you need to look into. And that's uh, a study they did. And, and it's, been re, it's been iterated on multiple times. But basically, you know, you get a marshmallow. You put a marshmallow in front of a kid or an adult or something. It could be chocolate. And you, and you tell them that they can have that now. Carte blanche. You just have it. No, no obligations, no strings attached. However, if you're willing to wait, and it, it's four minutes. They've done every study. Four minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. If you're willing to wait, though and resist and have the discipline, we will double your chocolate count. We will double your marshmallow count. And so they've done this study and you're shaking your head because you know this study is that they found that the people that were the kids, the children that were willing to wait to hold out for that extra marshmallow in life, they studied this 30 years later, were, were so much like exponentially more likely to be successful exponentially more successful. And so I've always had this, I've always had this ability to hold out, hold out. And, and it's not, a, it's kind of self-efficacy in that I, 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 I know that the longer I'm willing to do something, people are going to be quitting. Other people are going to be quitting too. And it's about survival. It's a, not about the results. It's not about how fast can you get the six, the abs. It's not about, it's not about, can you win your race by the, by the time you're 15, 16, 17? It's about, can I, will I survive? Because the survivors are the ones that, that get the bounty. They are. You look at the real estate industry, and I, I noticed this. When I got into real estate, I looked around. I wanted to model people. I was like, okay, I want to be successful, so let me model people successful. Well, they were all 25 years in the industry, and they worked based on referrals. But, but 
okay, so I should work on This is where agents make a mistake. They go, well, I should work on referrals then because that's what successful people do. They work on referrals. No, 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 no. They're successful because they survived. They're not successful because they get referrals. They're successful because other people didn't make it and they made it. They survived. They playing out survived. So when I had to make that decision, it was like, oh, this is easy. I, it's either one and a half months or four months. Well, four months is a little bit longer to survive. It's going to give me more options. Something's going to pop. I know it, right? And so we, so does that, does that make sense, Raymond? So it's always that, like, I just need to survive. Because yeah, I mean, in that sense, it gives you like 300% more time as an example, right? Like one and a half months versus four months. Like it's just pure, it's almost logic in that sense. Like, okay, it's a black and white decision. I'm either going to sink now or I can continue to tread water and that's going to buy me some time, which will allow me to do ABC or get, you know, one referral as we were just talking about. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's just being in it for the long haul, man. Yeah. It's about, and that's what it is. And it's not really a belief or courage that something's going to work out at the end. It's just, it's survival, man. And you know, as human beings, like we're really adapted for survival. So if you want to tap into a superpower, tap into your survival mechanism, you know, and I don't want to get too high level with everybody, but that's where it's at, man. And that's why the people that are the Pareto principle, 20% of the agents making 80% of the money, it's, they survived. They outlasted the other people, period, period. You know, when COVID hit in our real estate business, that was the, it made it real clear to a lot of people real quick, you know, real quick that you need to survive. Yeah. So what I would like to do next is there's, there's two things that I've seen you talk about. Uh, one of them is going big. One of them is the procrastination and, and what that does, right? So whichever one, whichever road you want to go down, pick one and let's have at it. Oh, going bigger or procrastination? Yeah. You know, um, there's lots of good, you know, when I'm talking, as far as going big, you know, here's the thing about going big is, Big things start with small steps, you know, and the the more successful I become, the more I realize that the smaller things matter. And, and, and I'm always thinking about what's the smallest step I can make? What's the one thing I can do? What's the one thing I can do that? What's the one domino that knocks down all the dominoes? And so I've been known to be very disciplined and have really good routines. Really, I just have really good, tiny, tiny habits. Got tiny, tiny ass habits, man. They're so small that everything else falls into place. Because I, my goal is to survive. And to survive, I need to do the, the absolute most important things first. But those things typically aren't urgent, but they're important. And and. I know that to survive, I got to be committed, more committed than anyone and more consistent than anyone. Everyone's consistent. So don't get consistency twisted. People get consistency twisted, right? You're consistent at something. Whatever you're doing, you're consistent at, right? But but do you, are you making a conscious choice to be consistent at the, at the items that you need to be committed to? And so I look for the tiniest, 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 tiniest habits. And if you want a book that I love, it's BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits. And you know what's cool about that book is well, what's cool about BJ Fogg is, you know, the, the founders of Instagram took his class 
and came up with the most addictive app ever, well, one of them is Instagram, right? So there's a lot to learn about that internally. So you can go, okay, maybe I'm lat, maybe I have some procrastination problems. Maybe I got some discipline problems. I know what I need to do, but I'm not doing them. We all know this, right? Well, you just need to find the smallest ass tiny habit you can get your hands on. And that's going to be your trigger. And then you make it easier and easier and easier to do it. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I do, man. You can know, you give it, us an example of a tiny habit that makes a huge impact for you? Oh, so I write a lot. You know, I, I write almost every morning. And um, in order to write, that's a tough one, is I'm going, I put, I make things easier to do. So, so where I write is one of the first things I do, is one of the first places I'll be. So I know where I'm going to travel throughout my house. So I'm going to put my writing center where I'm going to bump into it no matter what. It happens to be near the door. So it's almost impossible. It's impossible for me to leave my house without noticing my writing center, kind of like where I do my writing. And so that's kind of a tiny habit in, in that the first step is notice or sit down at my writing center. Does that make sense? So the habit isn't, let me go write. That's not it. It's let me sit down with a cup of coffee in front of the screen in which I, I write my content right? Let me sit down where I look at my leads. Let me sit down where I do my advertising and my marketing. Let me sit down where I do my follow-up. Okay. That's the tiny habit is just sitting your ass down where you need to be. It's kind of like going tiny habit to going to the gym. It's like, man, put your, put, put on your gym shoes, put on your stinky gym shoes, you know, put on those yoga pants right? You might have other things to do, but you know what? You're probably going to hit the gym or, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think of that a little bit and then it just, you know, it set, it falls itself in place. And these tiny habits stack on each other over time, right? So as you build those tiny habits and those start to leverage and build discipline, that's going to help you build that foundation for going big and thinking big and maximizing everything that you have to bring to the table. Yeah. And then what you do around those things, the, the most important things you know you need to do that you're committed to doing is you build, you build, you set boundaries and you set boundaries around them. Uh, I like to think about, you know, digging a moat around them. Right. So because you're, you're going to get distracted. You're going to get distracted, right? So you got to minimize your distractions. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I've, I'm to the point of overdoing it when it comes to minimizing distractions and making things convenient. So it's like, I min- I, I, I make boundaries. I set really ba- I set boundaries mentally and physically, right? And then I set boundaries mentally and physically. I'll give you an example. And then, and then I make it as convenient as possible. For instance, you know, one convenient thing is I have a home gym. It's very convenient. Okay. Uh, I write in the morning or you can be lead generating or emailing your leads or getting following up with your people. Well, I can do that. I can put that in a place where I'm going to bump into it. But if I, if I put that in a place where the first time I'm going to bump into it is at seven 30 or eight o'clock in the morning when my family's running around the house, it's not going to work. So, okay, well, I got to get up. I got to be there. I got to be there at 6 a.m. 
So there's less distractions. Okay. So you just got to think critically about this stuff, you know, and then it comes easy. It comes easy. You know, I, um, I race mountain bikes competitively and I have a coach and what I learned from endurance by becoming an endurance athlete is back to the consistency is it's not about how great your workout is. It's about how many good, good, solid workouts can you string together? Because somebody, some the racer that you need to beat is the racer that that doesn't make it to the race. So many, so many people train for things, study for things, work towards things, and they never actually make it to the event. They burn out, they give up, they fizzle out. And so, you know, endurance athletes are kind of interesting. It's like, you know, we want to work as well as we can in a zone that allows us to do it longer and better and better. And over time, it's going to stack and grow. So I call it the 80, 85, 10, 5, 85, 10, 5, 85% of the time in your work life, personal or professional growth, but let's talk professional as an agent, you want to be operating in the green zone, a zone in which you could do it forever. Like it, I understand super high intensity, right? But let's go super. I want to be able to do this for the long term. So that's the green zone. In endurance athletes, that's zone two, heart rate zone two. Zone two is where you where you adapt your body to do things longer, right? People underestimate how much how they 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 extrapolate what they what they can do based on their results today, right? So they extrapolate like the results tomorrow based on what they can do today. How about I say that? They extrapolate the results tomorrow based on what they can do today. But what they don't realize is they're going to get better, right? They can't, they haven't factored in growth. They haven't factored in skills and automatic behavior and things like that, right? And so zone two is actually making your endurance go up and making your efficiencies go up so that when you need to go into that 10%, which is, I call it the yellow. So it's a higher intensity, or you need to go in that red you can go in that red and that red is way more intense and way more focused. Right. And so I always think about that in terms of, okay, I know there's a belief back to the, you know, <laughs> this, I, I just, I believe that by doing it, I'm learning and I'm growing and, and just being in it, I'm learning and growing. And, um, and it's so minuscule. You can't even, you can't even tell you're getting better. Right. You can't even tell you're getting better. So, you know, that that gets us into mastery. You know, it's like this unending journey in which you do something hard. You know, it's this unending journey in, in your, which you, you choose to do something hard, which over time it gets easier and more pleasurable, right? So like in real estate prospecting, everyone hates prospecting, man. Yeah, it's freaking hard. Of course you don't like it, right? But here's the thing, the more you do it, the easier it's going to become. And people don't get this part. More pleasurable. They don't get that part about hard things. The more you do hard things, they get easier and then more pleasurable, which is wild to me. Like, like I do uh, once a week, I do uh, live calls with my agents. You know, so I will jump on the phone and prospect to, to demonstrate calling cold leads. And I love it. I freaking love it. It's so pleasurable. But you know what? 12 years ago, I told my broker I didn't want to be a salesperson. 
right? The same person told somebody that they don't want to be pushy. They don't want to be a salesperson. They don't want, they don't like it. Right. And he's like, you're in the wrong business, bro. You're in the wrong business. So Nick, let me ask you a question. Going back to this uh, green zone, yellow zone, red zone thing, and then talking about prospecting, green zone is 85%, yellow maybe 10%, and red maybe 5%. Is that accurate? Yeah, and that's those are intensities, right? Okay, so where in the prospecting itself, right? Like what is the goal with intensity of doing prospecting? I'll give you an example in prospecting to use this. When you're prospecting, 85% of the time, you're not on the phone. So don't get all worked up. If you're if you're in the yellow zone or the red zone, and that means emotionally, stress-oriented, you know, anxiety, fear of, re- of rejection that hasn't even happened yet. Right? Like when you're prospecting and calling somebody, you're already running through the bad things they're gonna say to you. You're in the red zone. You're in the yellow zone. You're not going to prospect for very long. And I'll give you an analogy. There's a um, Josh Waitskin, Josh Waitskin, the 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 chess player. Finding Bobby Fischer was, was the movie that was based on his life. Oh, Josh okay. Waitskin. Okay, um, and he has a book. He talks about grandmaster chess players. And early in his career, when he's playing a chess match, he would be intense the whole time. I'm just intense the whole time. Even when it wasn't his turn, he's intense. But as you get better and better and better, it got easier. He could walk away from the chess table. He could relax. He didn't care, right? And so he's staying in the green zone. He's keeping his emotional so that he can do it longer because the other opponent's going to make a mistake towards the end. Like the end matters. In racing, in mountain bike racing, not one person has won the race in the first 100 yards. Right. I, I do 25 mile races. They don't win. No one wins in the first mile. It's really who can stay the most calm and collected the whole time. So in, in prospecting, stay super calm, man. You know, when the phone's ringing, just, you know, stay calm, man. And um, don't get all worked up over it. Now, when you're on the call, someone answers. Get, now you got to set you got to set up, right? You got to activate. You got to be you got to be focused. And maybe you're in the yellow. Right. And then you got to go in the red sometimes here and there. Right. But also it's how fast can you, how fast can you recover back down to the green? So, you know, Barbara Corcoran, I've been, had the pleasure of doing a commercial with Barbara Corcoran. If you've seen some of the, the people in our industry that do endorsements. Sure. And she said the number one characteristic she looks for in a real estate agent is how fast do they rebound? How fast do they rebound? Rebound from what? Well, bad times, bad, bad results, bad news, rejection. So if I'm prospecting and I get hung up on, or it doesn't work out, that gets you in the red, man. It gets me in the red, no matter what I'm in the red, right? It's a trigger. I'm in the red. Okay. But here's the thing. It's over. It's over. So how long are you going to stay in the red? And that's like in, in racing, when I got to sprint and go and pass you, Raymond, how fast can I get my heart rate back down to the green, right? That's why we do high intensity training. So we can, how fast do we recover? So I want you guys to think about like, okay, when, when you go intense, what's your recovery like, right? And um, well, it's kind of high level, but I'm trying to take you tactically. So, because here's the thing, most people don't like to prospect because it's intense the whole time and it causes massive stress that they carry on to them in their next job, in their next task, in their next action. And it's painful. For me, I recover. 
I recover so fast. But prospecting comes with all these other emotions, right? Yeah. That all add to this problem. Insecurity, lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, lack of experience, afraid to ask a question or ask for the money or ask for the listing or ask for an appointment. All these different things that unless you have experience doing them, it takes time to nurture, to gain, to create that experience and build that confidence, right? So I think that's why if we're, you know, we're talking about this 85, 10, 5, let's just take a newer agent. I think a lot of newer agents both suffer and fail because they're by default in this red and there's so much stress instead of focusing on the green and trying to learn and enjoy the process, right? And so much of us grow up not learning to enjoy the process, whatever that may be. You know, we just have to push, push, push through school. We have to push, push, push through work. We have to hurry up and get this done or do what our parents asked or whatever the case may be. There's all this other shit that comes along with it as young adults, as older adults, as things that haven't been dealt with that cause us to perform in the red and be in this constant state of stress that is really debilitating for a lot of people. Yeah. And so as when you're starting something new, right, that's hard, like prospecting and prospecting, you know, we're talking about new agents, but this is like calling wholesaling, investing, yeah. business, you know, FSBOs, you, expireds, whatever, right? Yeah. You can be running a business. You got to call people. So you're going to be in the red on the most mundane task because you're in the red the whole time because you have, you don't have any automatic behavior, right? So <laughs> Does that make sense? You're all you're going to be in the red, and you're going to think to yourself, "Man, this." Yeah, because is, you're building it real time. You're building it real time, and you're thinking about. You have to literally think about everything, and you overthink things, and it's painful. And so you're thinking to myself, "I, the law of primacy is going to get in, get in there, and say, prospecting, painful. Don't do it." And the thing about it is you got to understand something. It's going to get easier. And what was once made you in the red is going to someday be green, super calm. You're going to be super calm. So you're not even going to, it's not even going to affect you. Right. But you do have to start out with like, you know, Josh Wayskin and be super intense and you have to see everything. You got to learn everything. And I'm not saying you avoid it from day. Actually, this is a good point. You're going to, you know, just remember it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. Um, progressively. And sometimes it's, it's super slow. So the other thing that you focus on, you want to focus on hundred percent is, is the, it is the small wins or don't focus on the result, focus on the process. Don't focus on the result, focus on the process. So if I'm prospecting, I'm not going to focus on the result, which is I want to get an appointment. And if I don't make an appointment, it's a bad phone call. Right? That's terrible. I've seen so many people. I've listened to thousands of hours of prospecting. I've 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 done it. I've I've listened to hundreds of thousands of phone calls because I'm a coach leader trainer and I train my agents, right? And I listen to their phone calls. I've heard phone calls that that are that get the appointment, they get the appointment, and it's a horrendous phone call. They did not set themselves up for for success moving forward, but they got the appointment. I've also heard amazing phone calls that don't get the appointment 
And so don't base your phone call or what your action based on the result. Now, of course, you got to see the result. I get it. And you need feedback, right? But maybe you need somebody to, to observe it with you and let you know whether or not it was good or bad for, for, before you judge it, right? Does that make sense? I yep. mean, it's so important to understand that as a new agent or an even experienced agent, stop judging it based on the result. I, it's so funny because my agents come up to me, Nick, you won't believe this phone call I just had. Oh, it's amazing. I got the best buyer. I got the best seller ever. Oh my gosh. And it's usually based on price point. It's a million dollar buyer. Wow. So that makes it a good, that made it a good phone call and that it was a million dollar buyer. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I got an appointment. Awesome. Great. Awesome. So you got a good appointment. So it was a really good phone call. Yeah, it was a great phone call. Awesome. So um, are they buying it alone or with somebody else? Oh, I didn't ask that. Okay. Okay. No problem. No problem. So do they own a home or or is this a second home? I didn't ask that one. Okay. Um, you know, do are they married or not married? I don't know. I don't know. Do they live locally or live out to I don't know. Do they need help with financing or paying cash? I, 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 I didn't ask those things. They called me and they wanted to see a home and I said, yes. Okay. That's not skill. That's not skill. And so order taker at that point, you're an order taker. So, you know, this gets into the principle of, of growth that I like to talk about. It's like about skill acquisition, man. It's like, you want to be in the top 20%, you need to have 20% of the skills that you implement on a, on a consistent basis. So it's not, not just you have the skill, because I know a lot of people have skills and knowledge and they don't do anything with it, but it's like you have the skill and you go forward. It, it Does that make sense? I, I get so, I, I that's something that I want to, I teach all my agents is that it's about the process, not the result. Because here's the thing too, Raymond, a lot of people, they, they get out of the industry too early because they don't get the, the results that they expected of themselves or that they're seeing other people get. I have five new agents that started 30 days ago. And you know, two of the agents, two of the five agents had something under contract within 30 days, right? Awesome. Good for them. You know, they did the work. And then I had another agent that, had zero. And you know what? She was getting down on herself, super down, super down. And it was my job as a leader to identify that because here's the, here's, here's the difference. She's actually doing better than the people with the pendings or the under contracts. In my mind, she's following the process better. She has more clients in her pipeline. She's doing what she's doing what's necessary and building good habits for long-term success. And so I had to let her know. I gave her a call. I said, listen, you're probably getting down. I call it the dip. You know, you're hitting the dip and you're hitting the dip because you're comparing yourself to these two agents. Well, you know what? We need to factor in luck. We need to factor in some luck. And no one expects, you know what I'm saying? Like you're comparing yourself to other people. So stop doing that to a certain extent. And she's doing the work to build the foundation. And those results take longer when you're building the foundation, right? Like if you're building a skyscraper, that foundation sometimes takes longer than the next 50 floors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just how do I remove, you know, how do I remove luck from the equation? And so that's what it was. A lot of agents, they, they're like, oh man, I hope the market turns around. Well, that's luck, man. I hope the, you know, I'm hoping that it, it picks up. I hope the market picks up pretty soon. It's like, whoa, whoa. You, you're just waiting on external factors that are outside yeah, your control. Get better. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, that's outside your control. That's what's within your control because everything that's outside your control is luck, you know, has nothing to do with that. So. Nick, I want to be conscious of your time. I know you have a hard stop coming up. So uh, two things. One, I want to make sure we get this in here. Where can people find you if they want to reach out or have a conversation or get some coaching from you? And your guys? Oh yeah. So, you know, I'm on, I, <laughs> I'm on Facebook. And I think you find me on Facebook. It is McLean, M-C-L-E-A-N. It's Nick McLean Real Estate. It's like forward slash Nick McLean Real Estate. You can find me there. I am on Twitter, Nick McLean R-E, and on Instagram as well. You can follow me. I I post, you know, I'm pretty, pretty consistent. I post almost every day some content for business leaders, entrepreneurs, team leaders, trainers. Uh, you find me there, follow me in there, hit me up on a direct message. I'm always available. I mean, that's how we met, right? And yep. through our through our circles and the people we know. Yep. So um, the, la- the last thing I want to ask you before you got to jump off is if someone can take one thing away from our conversation, one golden nugget, and it may be something we've already covered, what do you want to pay forward? Oh, one thing. Well, based on this conversation, your goal, your your goals need to change. And I don't know where you're at in your career and it really doesn't matter, but your goal is to survive because the longer you're, the longer you do something, the better you're going to get easier. It's going to be a gum and better and the more pleasurable it's going to be. Right. And I'm not just saying sitting back and, and ignoring it and hoping I'm saying being it longer in the green zone, being it longer, doing action, staying calm, playing the long game. And it sounds crazy. And I, and I, as a new agent, I would hate to hear that because I needed the money, man. And there's nothing wrong with that because when you need something, you got something, someone else does not And that's urgency, right? right? So if you can, <laughs> this is another layer, right? If you can stay in the green zone and have urgency, right? And always be playing the long game. Right. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're, and I wouldn't say you're going to win more than you're going to lose, but you're going to win more often than people that are out of it. Right. So like it, it, the analogy for financial advice, right? Nobody wants to get rich quick, uh, slowly. Nobody wants to get rich slowly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we know everyone here knows how to get rich on the stock market. Everyone does. You've heard of compounding interest. Everyone knows how to do it, but nobody can freaking do it. Right? So the goal of investing is to stay in the stock market longer. What kind of safe margin of safety can you put into place so that you do not touch it? Right? So in real estate, in real estate is like, what margin of safety do I need so I don't have to get another job? So I don't get distracted and look at another career. So I don't fail out. Because before you know it, and I'm proof of this 14 years later, you outlasted hundreds, if not thousands of agents, and you're reaping all of the rewards. All of the rewards. Like not all of them, but a lot. Like, yeah, it's not fair. In my marketplace, it's not fair. I'm going to be honest. It's not fair to be me. Like it, like I, I, it's, it's so much easier to be me. (laughs) <laughs> in my marketplace. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm focused on the smallest ass thing that worked yesterday. 
And so I, that's what I'm going to do today. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And um, that's that's the wisdom that you have for today. I love it, man. Thank you. Nick, this has been fun. Thanks so yeah. much. All right, see you, man. Hey, guys, it's Ray. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>